Welcome to the Rumpus Room. Hey everybody, how's it going out there? It's the boys from the Midwest back kicking it here in the Rumpus Room and let's hit them with a takeaway message of the day. I've been focusing on concentration and I think it's a big part of how I, you know, it's like what I do all day, every day. So the thing that's been helping me is I'm actually taking a class from a monk. His name is Don Dapani and he has a very popular YouTube video or TED talk, I guess. And what I like is just the analogy he uses for awareness and the mind. And so this is just the takeaway that I've really been thinking about a lot is think of your mind as a garden, as the garden and awareness is the water. So if you are constantly watering the negative thoughts, that's what you're going to be, what's going to grow. That's helped me just think about like awareness is like a flashlight or, a, a you know, your watering tool. So that's really helped me, I think, clarify my mind. And so what I'm trying to do with concentration, my ultimate goal is to, how can I control where my awareness goes? And so that'll kind of be layered throughout our podcast. There's some themes that I think I can tie back into pretty well, but it's helped me. Mm -hmm. uh, is that a paid class or is that a... It is. It's paid class. It's 99 bucks. So I bit the bullet. There you go. But I have found if I pay for some things, I do them. Mm -hmm. <laughs> if oh, yeah. I don't, I don't do them. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, we, I think the fight to maintain one's awareness or have control over one's awareness is honestly the way that you win in the game of life against like all of the competing um impacts or all of the competing things that are trying to get your energy and attention like mm -hmm. yep. um, so the so data obviously is you know the number one digital is the number one asset of Facebook or Google or insert whatever tech company. And so um, online behavior is directly translated to, you know, your attention, right? It's the manifestation of what is, what is occupying your attention. And then they're just tracking and recording it. So like, I think some of the digital evangelists out there, like uh, Jared, Oh God, I can't remember what his, his full name is, but you know, so there are people out there who are talking about like, we should own our data, but the tech companies own the data. And there's this sort of existential fight about like who owns the consumption of, of things on the internet. Mm -hmm. And, um, it's the web two versus the web three. Yes. Transition. Mm -hmm. Yep. And, uh, I think the, the, directing and maintenance of one's own concentration, one's own awareness is going to be a skill that like, um, actually is probably not going to be taught people because I've found that education tends to, I don't know if this is by design, but it's been in my experience that <laughs> they teach you a lot of stuff that doesn't really matter. <laughs> it's like, no, well, why would we want to teach personal finance? Why would Especially you want to take out loans for the rest of your life? Yeah. It's almost, 
it's one of those things that just seems like it wouldn't be that hard for people to be educated on how to make good financial decisions, but somebody's choosing not to include that curriculum in the common core. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think you and I have, and we'll probably go into a couple of these, some conspiratory views on things. Mm-hmm. And I think some are definitely educated and yeah, some are definitely uneducated and just, I have this belief, I think it's kind of grown as I've gotten older, which is once companies get bigger and bigger, they start to kind of go the wrong direction to survive. Cause it's a, a lot of, I think evolution is these companies start to lose favor. So then they start to go more of the control route. Mm. I think they lose their power. And, you know, we, we talked about the food conundrum that's going on, you know, just trying to shift the, the pyramid, all that stuff. When you hear about it, you know, JFK, the new Oliver Stone information. I mean, it all like, you can have a conspiracy about everything. I still think there's good things out there, but I do think that's a big driver in educational curriculum. Yeah, it, it would. It, I know we took like some business classes or we had the opportunity to, but um, I don't know. It, it seems sometimes that the, the information that is helpful in creating upward mobility trends in the population is not part of information that is like freely given out to people. Yeah. So, um, I wrote an article the other week on medium, which was called why we should sleep on the American dream because, um, people always talk about the American dream. We're obsessed with these rags to riches stories. And, um, and this is nothing new, you know, the real place where the American dream exists most commonly is in Denmark, which has the most upward mobility equally distributed across its population. So wherever you come from, you can make it. Um, and, and the U S ranks like very far down that list, but it's how we've built our identity. And I think it's a great thing for that to be the idea that the United States represents. Um, but what I was suggesting is we, we move back to the idea of um, celebrating opportunity as, you know, the land of opportunity instead of like the American dream, which is everybody getting rich and doing whatever. Um, yep. Because I think with young people today who are deliberately choosing to sort of fly in the face of, you know, work 80 hours a week and become the next Bezos, that um, you've got the whole sort of like van life thing going on, people choosing these alternative career paths and yeah, the great resignation, all mm -hmm. responses to that. Yep. Mm -hmm. And so I think if, I think America could, could be that place of opportunity and that that's a more fulfilling message or a inclusive message in my mind than like the American dream, which seems relatively sort of myopic in terms of you have to, have some sort of upward mobility success story, which so is that like, is that kind of like the message of diversity and inclusion? And then, um, other factors, is that kind of, I'm just curious on what, what you think is driving the, that American dream story that you said, the rags, the riches stories, what are some things that you think are driving that? 
Um, I think it's, uh, I think it's the, you know, America started as the land of opportunity. That was like what it was known for originally because you could come from Europe or wherever and you could get land. You could go and be, you know, assigned a chunk of land, which is totally different from Europe where you were, you know, having to compete. And so if you didn't already have money or weren't born into money that you were, you were screwed basically. And yeah. so that's why it was initially the land of opportunity. But I think we've become so celebrated in the um, stories of the people who succeed in accomplishing the American dream, which yeah. um, I think media and it's it's interesting because media, like how much of it is, you know, um, living vicariously through the story, right? Like the reason people like superhero movies is because I think they themselves feel like they're a part of the superhero team. Oh, yeah. Right. Yeah. You like, feel like when you also have hope that you're the superhero in there. Yes. Like and that's. That is one of the number one skills uh, somebody I was talking to in being a founder, an entrepreneur, or even a salesperson, or I mean, even getting people to do things that you like, how do you persuade people is you basically get them to say, here's who you are, here's who you want to be, and then there's this in the middle step, here's how I help you get there, this thing helps you get there. Mm -hmm. we are like massively addicted to that story. I mean, it's just a story that humans love. It's like you listen to the Bible stories and um, that is a really good, you know, it's, a, it's something that we have really, I think, figured out humans like. So I think we're hitting it pretty hard right now. It's, it, oh yeah. I mean, and it's a fascinating um potential pathway as the ability to create these types of, you know, first person, I'm the superhero experiences in the digital world are just becoming explored. You've got like the Elden Ring or like the old Doom, those first place, there's first person games where you're going and doing a quest. And then, you know, the whole metaverse sort of direction in terms of like we're going to set up all these artificial characteristics so you really are living out a superhero storyline yep and all these movies are um it's 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 it speaks to the need of human beings to want that for themselves for them yep. to want to be that protagonist and um it's a very profitable segment of the entertainment industry right now. <laughs> uh, but, and I think though, it's also representative of, um, I would say an increased awareness of our ability to impact the world around us. Um, it's a delicate balance in terms of like empowering people so that they do enough versus empowering people so that they do, you know, a lot. Right. Mm -hmm. And, um, some of these stories, I think, um, 
could 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 distract right you've got like the bread and circus sort of julius caesar approach to population control which is you know the only thing you need is is bread and circus entertainment uh, and then people will continue to pay taxes if they have that entertainment to look forward to um and we're at a fascinating precipice of like those types of spoon-fed entertainment experiences are just becoming so accessible and so while human beings are are increasingly able to be that protagonist in the real world we also are simultaneously making it so easy to have those experiences in the non-real world yeah that's why i think your idea about like concentration is so key because um, I think it'll be really challenging for particularly young adults growing up today to decide where they want to or how they want to how they want to deploy that attention. Yeah. And one of the things that so I I was we talk about mental health all of the time now or not all the time, but a lot of time at work. And so I'm working with employers and one of some of the employers we work with are schools. And so the conversation right now has gone into mental health. And I think that topic that you just talked about is, is something that I've been thinking about a lot. So I kind of have come up with four things in mental health that I think are very important kind of drivers. And I think there's kind of the most important one and I'll get to that one. But I, I think the first one is we live in this comparison world right now. Mm-hmm mimetic desire. So we used to only have access to a small group of people, your neighborhood, your town. Now we have access to hundreds and thousands of people's lives Mm -hmm. online. So we, instead of being like, oh, we're number 10 out of 30. All right. I'm better than most of the people. Mm -hmm. Now we look at it and see like, oh my God, there's a hundred people that are kicking my ass. And so I don't know if we're equipped from the evolution evolutionary standpoint to understand that's we're still in a good spot. It's like, and I think that's a big reason why a lot of young people are struggling with mental health. But I, the first point will get kind of the number one thing. We'll get back to this. Number four, number two and three, I think we put a lot of meaning on who like our, our initiatives are very self-driven you know, I want to make all this money. You know, I want to achieve all of these goals. I want to do all this stuff. And some of the most successful people, they're really, they motivate themselves by thinking of others. And that's one of the things that I think has helped me personally is when I had my boy, my first child, you really start to learn how to think about others in a a very deep level. It's like you look at him and it's like, man, he needs me to survive. So I have to do this for him. And so being able to provide for somebody else or, you know, company mission, I think people are figuring that out. They want to work for companies that are going for, you know, doing the values um, thing. Mm -hmm. Number two, and I don't know if two and three are kind of like the, I think food is a huge part of mental health. There's that one video that talks about how, they did a macronutrient diet and it was way more effective than antidepressants. 
I think that's something we've lost. I think we've completely lost our way as a society on how to feed each ourselves, our, each other. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then the number one thing that I think, and I'd be curious to your response is we let other people tell us how we should feel and we give that control to other people versus mm-hmm. us being able to decide how we want to feel in every moment. And I think that concentration thing, that was a big, big focus for me is it's like, I don't think we're teaching other people how to have control over your own feelings. Mm-hmm. So that's been a, and I think like the Facebook thing is a big thing. It's like, we're giving everybody power to, to, you know, Oh, you aren't good enough. It's like, well, you're giving other people the power to have that opinion. So that's kind of one of my things. I think I've been, I've been thinking about that. I'd be curious what you think of those four. Yeah. Um, so just to recap, number four is, um, you know, comparing yourselves to an infinite array of other folks. Yep. Three is, um, the, uh, desire for meaning or lack thereof. Yep. Followed by food. And lastly, um, people not having a sense of self. Yep. Uh, I, I think those are all extremely big influencing factors. I would throw food, you know, exercise right alongside it to yep. in terms of, yep. and also, um, exposure to nature. Um, mm. I think like, you know, the actual, you could talk about the microbes in the dirt or, um, you know, the energetic sort of kind of, you know, whatever, like you feel it when you're in nature for extended periods of time. I think like your neurons change, like yep. your, your level of, um, when you just tune into a different thing. I think the city, um, I think we would be at risk as a society if we did not develop both cap- capabilities simultaneously. Like if we forget the power of the natural world, which was the source of probably a lot of our evolving characteristics from the beginning. Right. Yep. So, um, I think developing them in tandem is going to be critical for people who have the ability to be fully, you know, digitized or immersed in digital world and the concrete jungle, so to speak. So, um, Getting to number one, though, uh, with the idea of you or an individual not necessarily having a sense of self and looking outside, um, I think is such a huge driving factor in people's inability to feel good or feel anything or um, feel centered. Like most people have talked about how depression is a disease of the, of the past and anxiety is the disease of the future. Mm -hmm. Like you have worry about the future. You have regret about the past. Um, and a lot of people just cycle between the past and the present. And then they, you know, some people call them bipolar. Um, and I think there's a tremendous amount of the 
Western world's dissatisfaction or the modern world's dissatisfaction that can be attributed to a lack of time or skill at being present with oneself and using the um, signals that you are receiving as a human being to be your driving force of what makes decisions in your life instead of I'm looking at everybody else. I'm making my decisions based on what they're doing. And then I'm like trying to check in with myself or like I'm trying to find myself within these evaluations of other people. Yeah. So to put it in more real words for me, uh, when I was struggling with depression and suicidal ideation, um, I thought negative emotions were bad. I thought like I shouldn't feel sad. Yep. I sh and so um, I was ashamed that I felt very sad. And it took me a long time to realize that, hey, wait, this emotion is actually a tool that you should be using to learn about what's happening in your life. And that simple message for me, um, I don't know what, how or what, where it, it needs to be shared, but I feel like that's just such a, such a small way of changing like the narrative around what you have awareness of and whether or not, you know, cause like people are, I think always think that I should have this type of experience that's in a particular way because that's what it appears like other people have mm -hmm. when in reality, like the richness of what information is immediately available to you in how you feel in what you're thinking in, um, you know, those, in my opinion, are signals. They are the tools with which you craft a life. And if you're extremely sad because, you know, your parents are um, alcoholics and like destroying your home life and you're like feeling really depressed because they berate you or whatever it is, or they, they tell you you're worthless or whatever, or they, you know, are abusive in whatever way um who would ever tell you that you shouldn't be sad in that environment yep you should be incredibly sad and you'd be a sociopath or a psychopath if you were not <laughs> no kidding it's a good thing that you're sad because it tells me that you have a sense of self you have a heart you have Empathy. emotions yep. you can feel and, and so, um, so many of us, I think, skip over that acceptance step when we are in the throes of the pain. Um, and it's a hard, it's a hard, I'm, I'm, I'm not suggesting that it's an easy thing to do, but sometimes the simplest things are really the hardest things to do. It's a hell of a lot easier to do something really complex that is, you know, not well understood. It's very hard to do something that's simple and do it well. And, yeah, um, repeat it, you mm -hmm. know, build these habits. And, you know, kind of going off of what you said, which that was, I mean, it, 
it helped me. So thank you. That was really, I think it's great to hear your experience because you've had a lot, I think you've thought a lot about this and have written a lot about it, but it becomes really impactful. And I think we, we all rely on these, like the stories we were talking about earlier, we think we should be having one experience we don't just acknowledge what's inside of us and what is our own experience. And I just think there's really poor support education. You know, when you think about, I was at a school and they were talking about, we need more therapists. And then one of the slogans they came up with for mental health was just smile. Ooh. Yeah, it's bad, really bad. So really difficult for me to say like, oh, I don't think that works. And I just, you know, I kind of asked a few questions about it and they said, oh, you know, this girl, she committed suicide and she was in high school and on her board in her room, she had the phrase, just smile. And. That, you know, after hearing all that you've talked about, I've learned a ton from you. And I think our family talks about this. You know, in my mind, that triggered is like, this is a bad thing. But everybody in the room was like, that is so powerful. It's so amazing. How could you be that out of touch? I, I <laughs> the point where it's been, they want to put it on bumper stickers. Oh, no. Yeah. And like, do the whole kind of, I'd say Lance Armstrong bands thing i mean it's a so you know it's really hard to hear some of these stories when you know i think we've been through these experiences and i think you know just to explain a little more clearly what i think the problem with that statement of just smile is is what you talked about which is hiding the emotions and acknowledging the emotions Mm -hmm. that we all feel yeah so this my perception of the event, and this is just what I think, is she was unhappy and unable to talk about this to somebody or felt that she was wrong for feeling this type of emotion. So that's yeah. exactly it. It's uh it's emotional. Um I mean they, they use the term a lot to talk about like whitewashing in terms of Yeah, our gas making well, making like our history just white when you only look at like the things that white people did instead of like, you know, all different colors or races or whatever. Mm-hmm. I would make that to be sort of the same as like emotional whitewashing in terms of, you know, um, just painting on a face. I think that's actually a lot. Did you see the Joaquin Phoenix's Joker? I did. I think that sort of reminds me of his kind of approach and like his depiction of that character and how, you know, just smile is really going to exacerbate the issue. I mean, he even kind of says it, I feel like at one point in the script. That was a good movie. Man, was that scraping part. And I think some of the you know, I, was, I watched it with my wife and we were like, wow, that that really hits hard. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, um, you've got, and I, I'm always 
sensitive to like talking about trends because some people just say we're on this cycle of samsara as they call it and um the world will just continue to make all of these sort of tripping over itself mistakes <laughs> such that you as a human being your one job is to essentially take yourself out of this cycle of birth and death and you know being ignorant and stupid and become a person who lives with virtuous activities and so um i'm always cautioning myself in terms of identifying like these macro trends because i also believe at some point that history repeats itself and everything is a cycle so while i'm pointing out that like and also this is classic like jordan peterson when um, I'm I'm selecting my sample size in which to apply this deduction to, right? Like, but if I look at two significant movies um, that I think are trying to explain a direction that our population is headed, Joker's one of them, and the other one is Squid Games. Hmm. Squid Games has this sort of like, you know, um, we this very like money and, and power and success focused, you know, the, the destruction of emotions and then how, when you strip those things out, like, you know, the, that, that human emotion experience comes back and is, is whatever. So I, I think they're, they're commenting on sort of like a, a societal direction that, that yes. we're headed towards. And like the Joker, you know, obviously it was, a lot about class warfare and whatever, but um, so I'm hesitant to say that is what's happening in the world today, but um, I'm also trying, trying to read the signs that are available to me and suggest that like, that appears to be the trajectory that we're on. So um, I think it's, it's gonna get worse. And especially when you see schools so tone deaf with that idea around um acceptance and around um you know having an optimal experience is the right one right like and that's just not the case like uh i don't know um i would love to try that idea on with like young adults and see if what their response would be because um, there's, there's just a lot of pressure. And I think you're right that uh, having a child makes you start to look at the world a little bit more closely and um, things that I used to think were not going to impact me because I was able to remove myself from the, the, the trigger um, you know, like the critical race theory discussion or whatever, like that has never been a, a, a thing that I cared about really. But like now I'm like, oh, well, that is going to be a component, I'm sure of, you know, yeah, the child. his education. Yeah. And it's just fascinating that um, my, my, my allegiances, my, my cares, my concerns have, have very much changed. And um, uh, for those of you who haven't known or our longtime listeners of the podcast, both of us actually had sons within the last um, year. And so that's what the hiatus has been for. But hopefully we're getting back on the track of producing regular content. And hopefully it won't always be about like being a dad, 
you know, because <laughs> <laughs> a lot of our listeners aren't. So yeah, exactly. So we're not just gonna because I know how annoying it is to talk about your kids all of the time to people who don't have children. It's yeah, it's something I really try not to do a lot. No. Yeah. Um, but um, I, there was a certain um, there was a certain death of like a worldview, I think, that I had to almost grieve when um, I started to, you know, just understand the severity and the in the impact of having a child like I, it's it's 100 percent an evolution in terms of who I am and how I view the world. Um, but it's not just an evolution. It's not just an increase, I think. I think there have been elements that like, you also need to turn off. And um, this is something that I think in the working world, we do a really bad job of. Everything in our lives is always about like, can you do more? Can you do more? Can you do more? So rarely do we say, look, what are we doing that we should stop doing? Mm -hmm. And that to my, in my mind is almost a more valuable question often, especially if it's not being asked enough. Um, because everybody has limited capacity and everybody's always got new ideas about what to do, but that just doesn't mean you just, you know, always do everything that comes your way. And this is major corporate culture issue that I I'm struggling with all the time today is like, it's always more, it's never, how do we make sure that we're doing the right things and recognizing the fact that some stuff we're not going to do. And so the death of activities, um, is super valuable and was something I just have been recognizing in myself like that, that has also been a component of the post child process. It hasn't just been like, you know, now I'm also a dad and the same person that I was before being a dad. No, not um, even close. Yeah. No, I would echo that sentiment, which is the biggest. So I was talking with a guy that actually was in one of the classes I was taking and he's, he's, he was, his wife was doing the beginning of March and he's like, Hey, what, um, what's like the biggest change for you? And I said, <laughs> no way. Really. Yeah. What did you say? I said, you prioritize, you learn how to prioritize much better. You know, like you basically have to throw away all the bull crap that you've been doing. You don't have enough time. I said, time is the number one thing that changes. In terms yeah. of, because he was, he basically said like in the terms of context of work. Yeah. He's like, how do you do it? And I just said like, you have to stop doing things that don't have any value. And you now have a, a really good motivator to not say, oh yeah, I'll get that report done. I'll just do it over the weekend. It's like, mm -hmm. well, that's not going to happen. Totally. So that's a big shift. And one last point is. When I was in consulting, we did these jobs and the most valuable thing we did for hospitals is we let people go and we stopped doing initiatives and we would cut things. We would sell them on, we're going to 
collect more money. We're going to do all this stuff. But the real money, the, all of the money was made in the removal of things. Hmm. That goes to your point of like, how do you take something and make it more valuable very quickly? And that's to remove all of the the trash, basically. Not the trash. Like, trash is probably the wrong word, but the unnecessary things. Yeah, low value versus high value. Mm-hmm. So yeah, very. I think that's really insightful, and I think uh, yeah, that's really interesting. Got anything else? I think that was. I think we hit it pretty hard there. We did. Um, we could we could open the can of worms that is uh, the conflict in Ukraine. All right, let's do it. I think we got. Yeah, we could we could hit that a little bit. <laughs> Um, or if you got to run for something, we can do it another time for sure. This is not going to change anytime soon. So it's up to you. Let's, uh, well, then let's save it. Let's, let's keep our listeners engaged on the next one. I think it's really a, we can tease them a little bit on what we're going to say. Sure. We have a hot take on, or at least I do. I don't want to throw you into this boat quite yet, Sam, if you do, if you're not, if you're not willing to be, uh, so, I have this theory that um, I suspect Ukraine, the Ukraine conflict, sometimes when I look at the world, it just once again seems like too convenient of a situation given where we've been. Although I will say that the new coronavirus variant um, does sort of debunk this theory. Um, but the theory is essentially that the Ukraine conflict is is conveniently diverting a fair amount of attention from anybody asking a lot of questions about the governmental response to COVID. <laughs> uh, nobody's been asking those, like, if there were to be an inquisition, there if were there all is, meetings. yeah, the if, congressional hearings. I, I would hope an invasion of you know how much time did we spend on Trump's Russia connection? Yeah, that for this. Why yeah. why are people not talking about the effectiveness of the government response to COVID? Like I don't know. Um, right now, it's obviously all about the Ukraine conflict and whatever. So um, we'll see. We'll see how this evolves and we'll, we'll keep you guys updated and uh, we'll share more about that theory. Yeah, we got some more detail on that hot takes. We'll, we'll go get some more information too, just so we have a fully baked bazooka. Exactly. So that's all we got for you today, folks. Tune in next week when we'll be back kicking it here in the rumpus room.